This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. Today... Well, today I am delighted to welcome Kathleen S. Jamie, a.k.a. Kat Jamie, to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Kat is the force behind and in front of The Grizzly Truth, the highly anticipated feature-length documentary that has its world premiere at the 2022 Vancouver International Film Festival. You would be hard-pressed to find a bigger fan of the Vancouver Grizzlies than Cat Jamie. Not only did Cat grow up a fan of the ill-fated NBA franchise, but she's parlayed that childhood passion into a number of films, including We the West, 2018's festival hit Finding Big Country, in which she successfully tracked, I guess it's a spoiler now, but yes, she found NBA enigma Bryant Big Country Reeves and The Grizzly Truth in which she seeks to investigate a sprawling sports mystery. Who is responsible for robbing Vancouver of the Grizzlies? To diehard fans of the Vancouver Grizzlies, the team's abrupt move to Memphis in 2001 is much more than a sore spot. It's an unsolved mystery and possibly a criminal conspiracy. And there was no one on this planet better suited to tackle this mystery than Kat. Okay, I got to admit, I didn't even know that there was any mystery surrounding the Grizzlies move to Memphis. <laughs> Regular listeners to this podcast know that my 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 nerdy thing, my sports is science fiction. I have been a nerd all my life. And all my life I felt far away from sports, from the people who play them and from the people who cheer them on. But the Grizzly Truth is a love letter to what it means to be a fan, which I totally get. And the, and the role that fandom can play in identity and community, which I totally get. And thus, I totally get this film. Here's how the Vancouver International Film Festival describes Grizzly Truth. <clears throat> this, is, this is me doing the film festival voice. <laughs> in revisiting the short history of the bad luck bears who racked up all the wrong kinds of records, see that 23-game losing streak in the 1995-1996 season, Jamie's documentary doubles as a testament to the enduring passion of true teal blue fans. It's his passion that fuels a dogged odyssey that finds Jamie infiltrating corridors of power at the NBA's head offices and knocking on doors as she connects the dots and reconnects with the heroes and villains of Grizzly's lore including former players like Sharif Abdur-Rahim and Mike Bibby and the team's architect, Stu Jackson. In the documentary, it's Stu Jackson who asked Kat a question that I'm going to ask her again today. Kat, what is your motivation and why are you doing a film on the Vancouver Grizzlies, essentially 30 years later? 
Today, we are going to grill Kat on her spectacular journey into the heart of a baffling sports mystery. Kat, Jamie, welcome to the Wavier Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you, Sabrina. What an intro. Thank you for that. That was that was awesome. Um, I, I want yeah. you to give us a snapshot of your love for the Grizzlies. Like, what kind of a fan were you back in the day? And I ask this because we actually get to see some prized items from your childhood Grizzlies collection. So, which I do want you to name name check a few of your favorites. But what kind of a fan were you? Oh, man. So, yeah, I got into basketball. Um, I have an older brother and, what you know, I wanted to be exactly like him. So he had a baseball phase. I got into baseball. Then he had a hockey phase. I got into hockey. But then, you know, it was the 90s. So this is what like MJ was at his peak. Michael Jordan was at his peak and all every kid was playing basketball. So he got into basketball. So naturally, like I followed suit. Um, but then when I started to play basketball, it just came so naturally to me. Like I watch old footage of me playing basketball as a kid. And like, you know, I have like my my follow through is like no one really taught me that. That just like all came naturally to me. Um, and so, yeah, I became I fell in love with the game. The Grizzlies came at the perfect time because I was getting to basketball. Then they came and it was just they like sealed the deal for me, cemented my love for the team. Um, and I just like I took my brother's love for the game, but then I like t magnified it by like a million. So I just I have a, like yeah. kind of an, um, an obsessive personality, as you can probably tell from the film. Um, and so like, you know, anything basketball, like toys, like basketball cards, like I just like I ate it all up. Um, and so, yeah, the Grizzlies. Oh, man, I just I love them. And I I think I I was definitely at the perfect age to love the Grizzlies because they were so bad. Um, but I was six years old when they were, mm -hmm. were here. And so as a kid, you, you you know, kids look at the world through a different lens. And I I looked, I, I watched the Grizzlies uh, with a different lens. You know, I meet fans who were kind of maybe, I'd say like, you know, almost 10 years older than me. And they have a very different experience. Like their memories of the Grizzlies, like they love them, but it was like way harder for them to be a fan because it was mm. like frustrating for them and they understood what was happening more. But for me, it was just like, oh my gosh, like these, like that, like that's Charles Barkley. Like he, he's, he's right there and all these players and like, you know, the Grizzlies and the NBA as a whole, they did such a fantastic job of like on the entertainment side. And in the film, you know, we kind of get to like the reason why the entertainment side was so high was because, you know, even if we lost, it wasn't a big deal because it was still so much fun. And there, there were so many different things going on at games. There was the Grizz Extreme Dance Team. There was Super Grizz. There were prizes. Like there were, there's all this, all these other forms of entertainment. So it wasn't just like a basketball game. And so, I mean, I really bought into it, <laughs> the Grizzlies um, and, uh, you know, everything that came with them. What are some of your prized items from your childhood Grizzlies collection? Oh my gosh. So I know this is like, you can't like, this is, so this is like probably my most, one of my most prized possessions. And like, so every, you're holding up, it's a keychain. Keychain. Uh, yeah. Grizzlies keychain. It's a basketball um, keychain. Shaped like, like a basketball. Shaped like a basketball. It's pretty worn out, but um, I would say like, this is like top three, like most prized possessions. Like, and um, my dad, like every time we would go to a game, I could go to the gift shop and get something small. And mm -hmm. so like, this is one of the things that I got. And I just, I remember loving this keychain so much. And, um, you know, I only wanted toys. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't want any clothes, 
um, because I was a kid and it's like, why would I want like a t-shirt? Like I want like, give me all the basketball toys. But so as I got older, you know, I, I was like, no, no, it's like, dang, I should have got, I should have bought clothes. Um, and so I, I, you know, thankfully, um, I have a few friends who are like vintage uh, collectors and they, you know, they sell vintage stuff. And I'm like one of the first people they hit up when they have something to sell because they want to make sure that it goes to like a good home and an actual fan. But I would say there's that keychain. You know, I have another really small Grizzlies basketball uh, that's somewhere in my room um, that I used to like sleep with. Like it was like my stuffed animal. <laughs> like, Wait, but so, it was literally a stuffed basketball. No, it was like a plastic soft basketball. Like it wasn't even a doll. It's not like a, like I would sleep with a basketball, a Grizzlies that's, basketball. Like that's, that's, that's how much. Yeah. So that's how much, you know, my, how big of a fan I was. Take us back to the day then that you learned that the Grizzlies were closing up shop and moving to Memphis. What do you remember about that day and what did you feel? You know what? I was, I didn't understand what was going on. I'd like, I didn't, I, I thought, I, I thought that we would get another team right away. Hmm. So I was upset, but I was like, okay, well, but this isn't the end, we'll get another team. And I clearly didn't understand how, like what was actually going on, what it actually meant that the team was moving and how rare it is for the NBA to come back to a city. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, I just, I was again, like just didn't understand what was going on. And it was only much later when I was like, oh wait, they're, they're gone for good. Like this means like there's a period, um, you know, um you know after this statement so yeah i i was i was upset but i thought that we would get another team back yeah so that brings us to the mystery then what has been the most widely accepted understanding as to why the grizzlies left vancouver so the reason why you know i approached this film and me and my team approached this film this way is because truly when you talk to everyone everyone just has their own opinion of what happened and it was really interesting to talk to fans and like they have like you know and the fans are just filled with so much emotion they're angry they're like they're scapegoating there's bitterness there's hate and so like you know when you when you see that those feelings being presented in so many people you kind of go okay there's something going on here like you only feel these feelings i you know i believe if like you don't understand a situation mm-hmm. if there's things that are that um if there's no closure if there are unresolved um you know um just yeah unresolved feelings and so and then to, again to top it off it was like again everyone has their own opinion and, and when i started talking to the people who worked for the grizzlies they had a very different um feeling of how things went and so then i was like okay there's clearly a gap between like these two parties and it's because the grizzlies like up and left it felt like they up and left there was no real discussion i feel um about what happened there's just many there's speculation again there's finger pointing finger pointing there's scapegoating and so um and when i started to talk to the people who were actually involved I, you know, I, I understand where fans come are coming from and I feel what they feel. But then when you talk to these individuals who are actually part of the story, like you can't help but empathize and you can't help but, you know, understand why things played out the way they did. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, 
I feel like I get it. Actually, no, uh, I'll go into that later. I'm sure this question will come up. So mm -hmm. I'll just save that for now. Well, I'm going to pull a question verbatim from the film, which is the question, yeah. which was Stu Jackson's question, yeah. which is Kat. What is your motivation and why are you doing a film on the Vancouver Grizzlies essentially 30 years later? Mm -hmm. So with Finding Big Country, which was, a, you know, kind of the um, the first film in this Grizzlies series that I've kind of been working on, um, you know, we, we delve into my personal story a little mm -hmm. bit about why, like, why am I making this film? And that it gets explained and is tied to um, my backstory. And so with the Grizzly Truth, like I knew that we had to do the same thing, but like what, you know, we have already delved into my personal story. So like, what else can we, what else do I have to say? Mm -hmm. And it was actually very, very, very easy for me to say, I know what I want to share in for this piece. Cause now it's not just about me. It's kind of like, why did I love the Grizzlies? Why did I connect with the team? But maybe by sharing that, we can explain why other fans connected with the team. And so for me, um, I remember being a kid, um, you know, I'm Filipino Canadian, was born in Vancouver, I'm a sec second generation Canadian. Um, and I remember when I learned that the basketball was a national sport of the Philippines in like very early young in elementary school, when the Grizzlies, when I was into basketball. And I remember like clearly latching onto that to being like, oh my God, like, that is, that explains why I'm so good at basketball. That explains why I love the Grizzlies. They are a part of, like, they're a part of me because I'm Filipino and I'm Canadian and like Filipino Canadian and, you know, all like, you know, and I think as a second generation Canadian, like you're trying to figure out like where you're, like what your identity is and where your roots are. Um, and so the Grizzlies help me do that. Mm. And you know, then talking to so many other, you know, uh, fans, many had the same kind of experience that I did. Um, you know, you kind of have to remember that, you know, Canada is known as a hockey country, but not all of us play hockey and not all of us, you know, relate to that sport. And basketball is a very accessible game. All you need is a basketball. Um, and there are many other sort of, you know, cultures that where basketball is like a very big part of, you know, like, like, you know, I know in, you know, one of the fans, um, Michelle, you know, she's from Hong Kong. Um, and uh, she like also grew up with basketball. Basketball is huge there. So, mm. yeah, so it was, um, it was a no brainer. Like I didn't have to, I already knew when we were making this film, I was like, okay, yeah, I know, I know what part of me to share in order to explain this. And I was like, I, and I also know I have the, the archival documents to back this up. Cause literally I mean, like in all my assignments, I would always in elementary school, like I'd always like, if I had to write a paper, I'd, I'd make it about basketball. And then within that, I would make sure to drop like, basketball is a national sport of the Philippines and I'm Filipino too, <laughs> you know? So, I love that. yeah, so it was like, so that, you know, and I, I think that's why, one of the reasons why the Grizzlies were so important, like they weren't just a basketball team, they really helped, you know, lots of um, young Canadians like myself uh, find their identity. Wow. You know, Kat, what's amazing. I feel like this film has done something for me as far as transforming how I see sports, because how you talk about basketball is how I 
used to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Wars and the X-Files, like every assignment had some Star Wars in there or some Star Trek in there. And it was something that like I did with my parents, you know, like it was a definitely a connection there. So I think that you talk about basketball being something that is accessible. Well, your film has made that accessible for me. So I thank you for that. But what kind of challenges are associated with you as a filmmaker, uh, an award-winning, multiple award-winning <laughs> filmmaker at this point, you know, putting yourself in the documentary and establishing yourself as, you know, to use the the lingo of the documentary sphere, a central character? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Like it, uh, it was, a, you know, I never set out to, to be in either film, the Grizzlies, the Grizzly Truth, or Finding Me Country. Yeah. Um, but with Finding Me Country, I found that when I pitched the film, people only started to lean in when I shared my backstory and I showed them like my, you know, when I would pitch the film, I would bring like my Grizzlies, like um, it was like a big book. It's like my uh, like a basketball scrapbook that I made when I was in elementary school. And, and that's when, when I showed that to people and it had like all the tickets, all like, all my, all my grizzly drawings, a big country and the grizzlies. That's when all, you know, broadcasters and whatnot and funders would say, okay, wait, I actually like this. Tell me more about this. And so that's when I was like, okay, I feel like I need to insert myself in, even honestly, the day before we went to Oklahoma, I was still trying to get out of being in the film. I like called my producer, Michael, and I was like, hey, you know what, maybe we just shoot, like, are you sure we? I need to be in it? Like, maybe we just shoot Brian, like, can we, as safety, let's shoot every scene with just Brian, just in case we realize in the edit, we don't need me. And he was like, okay, sure, we can do that. But he was like, Kat, I really think it's going to be way more fun and engaging to see you both on screen and on camera interacting with each other. And thankfully, like, yeah, he, he was right. Um, and so when we pitched the Grizzly Truth, because with Finding Me Country, I always wanted to tell this story, the full, mm. the full feature film. And so when we were making Finding Me Country and I was like, okay, planning ahead, okay, I want to make this other feature film now. In my head, I was like, okay, but for that one, it's going to be more, like, I'm not going to be in that one. But then again, when we went to start pitching, everyone was like, okay, but we want you in it again. (laughs) So that's why, so it was, um, you know, there is a vulnerability uh, when like you're in it and it's, you, I also, you know, honestly, like this film kind of drove me crazy (laughs) in a way because it was so personal when, when something is so personal and I'm a, I'm such a perfectionist, everything just has to be right because it's like, this is my story. Like I'm so attached to it. Like it has to like, one of the one of the things that like you know the vo has to sound right because it's it's me and i'm telling my story and i I need to make sure that i'm hitting like i'm i'm like just so much harder on myself Mm. because it's my story because i've invested literally like it almost like more than a decade on this film like everything just needed to be perfect and i thank my team for their patience with me because like i was like i was being really uh like just uh, nit nitpicking things that no one <laughs> that like no one else would nitpick, but only yeah. me. But it was like, but but my argument would always be like, but I've spent so much time doing this, and like, 
it like I need this is my personal story and I need it I just need it to be right I need I need to be in the theater and I need to be watching this and I need not to like I need just to be okay with like how everything is is being like laid out and anyway so that was like that was difficult like that's that's I think I need a break from telling like extremely extremely personal stories because it like takes like an emotional toll it took an emotional toll on me towards the very end of the of the film when we were like um you know just about to lock cut i, I think it's also because i've been working on this for so long mm. and it's so personal that there was like there was this fear of like after this there's no more tweaking like mm. this is it and i've had so like i've had years to like work on this um but you know it, there is also the fear of like you know i'm I, I uh, of like, how are people going to react to this? Um, and because it is so personal to, um, and I share like, you know, with Finding Me Country and with this film, they are two very, very personal uh, like aspects of my life that yeah. are on the big screen that I'm sharing with everyone. So, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you connected with that. And you're not like, I love that you're not a basketball fan, but you still connected with it. And that's, you know, that's what. Whoa, not just so, connected, like right away, because okay, also, I guess yeah. I didn't make that big of a I, I didn't really mention this in the intro, but you also do some framing like it's like a true crime documentary. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who's like, you know, I think I'm a nice and calm and gentle and kind of anxious person. But I love all that true crime stuff, documentaries, yeah. podcasts and stuff. And so like you also you like that's how you establish it right away. And then it's kind of like you explore some of those tropes throughout the film, too. So, no, it is it, if you're not a sports person there's still there's something there not just the like and it's not even just a mystery that you made it a human accessible story mm -hmm. like i might not know about three point three points is a basketball thing right three yes, points yes. and yeah. whatever but i know about passion and i know mm -hmm. about you know being a second generation canadian and i and i actually i'm my my husband's Filipino Canadian. Like I I know about where basketball also sits yeah, within the okay. within the Filipino uh Canadian and Filipino yeah. uh, culture. So no, there's a lot that's accessible. So look, there are some massive twists and turns in your film. And there's also like a really, really big get, which I'm sure is going to be news after uh, the the film, you know, gets its premiere. But I don't want to spoil it here because it was so shocking to me. Um, but with that being said, we don't want to spoil anything, but could you share some of your most memorable or surprising moments, you know, from from the interviews themselves? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, the most I mean, I feel like I was so happy to, you know, get access to as many Vancouver Grizzly players that I did. Um, and, you know, talking to Stu Jackson and he says, you know, they, one of the things that they were looking for when they were drafting players was like, you know, they're looking for people that had good, great character. Cause that's, you know, when, and he says in the film, like, you know, when you, when you have a team that's comprised of these hardworking players with good character and they have talent, like in the end, like you'll prevail. Mm. And I, you know, and I, I do agree with, I do agree with that. And talking to everyone, I could see, I was like, oh yeah, like they did draft all these great players that were you know at the end of the day like i am a childhood fan who's just like continually knocking on all these like nba you know former nba superstars doors and they're letting me in um and they're being so 
kind and accommodating and like they don't have to be um, not just kind of accommodating sorry but there are some moments where they are jealous of either like the jersey that you have or the footage that you have like they're like whoa like you really impressed impressed, like your childhood heroes and the nerd in me was like yeah i get that that would be like having patrick stewart or jonathan price be like i love your collection i'm like oh (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, no, oh my gosh, yeah, totally. They, they were all because oh my god, after every interview, I would like, be like, can you sign this and this and this and this and this and like get them to sign like all my all my stuff. Um, but no, and they were like, you know, I go tandem biking with George Lynch on Santa Monica Beach, like in around Venice, like the like they like and they started to it was what was really cool is like like they started to one up each other like because they knew like some of them are still friends and so when like George Lynch did that with me he was like you know make sure you show Antonio this this photo like you know he didn't go like he didn't go tandem biking with you but I did like so they would like it became like this thing of like and so and it would it was great because once I had like one player and or two players then it was easier to get like everyone else on board because it was like mm-hmm. yeah if you've interviewed Mike Bibby Sharif you know uh, you know, Cherokee Parks, like, do you want to be a part of this? And, you know, thankfully everyone said yes. But I, I would say the one of the main things I learned was that the Grizzlies were getting better. And that was like across, like, I truly, that was something that I learned that was like, we were getting better. You had math, you had stats you were yeah, looking at, yeah, like yeah, actual, yeah. actual scientific yeah. evidence. They were getting better. Yeah, they were getting better. And like, you know, it was just a, a situation where the plug was too soon so yeah that's uh that was you know that was heartbreaking to learn but also like you know it gave um it just it made me feel good about yeah you know what we were like we weren't just these lovable losers you know we were we were actually getting better and we could have actually you know the team could have stayed in vancouver had they not moved and you know the owner moved them to memphis do you think we will ever see another NBA team here again. I mean, there's that great scene where you are, you know, outside the stadium with all the Grizzly fans, you know, like, you know, demanding that we get another chance, you know, like there's very passionate to see you up there and leading the crowd. Oh, she's, she's, she used to say that, like (laughs) she used to scream and yell that, you know, years and years ago. But yeah, anyway, do you think that we'll get another kick at the can? I'm hopeful. I I don't think when I think about it, I'm going to be I honestly I'm like I might be in like my 50s. <laughs> like that's like kind of how like I think it's going to happen, but it it's not going to be like it's wishful thinking that it'll happen in the next decade. So I feel like yeah. the next 2-3 decades maybe. Like I I don't know. I I feel I I do I think it's possible. Mm. You ask people, you know, within like the NBA and the organization and there are people who think that it can happen there's people who think that it can't happen and the people who think that it should happen, but they're not sure if it can or can't happen. Yeah. But I do, I don't know. I, I feel like Vancouver is, can support another team. Like we, we, um, you know, the NBA has expanded. They're like a global, they're a global uh, like brand now. Um, and, you know, there's Vancouver has like, the 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 basketball craze is well and alive in Vancouver, and I think that we would support a team, and we did support a team. Like we supported one of the worst teams in NBA history, so you know I feel like that just 
if anything, that just shows how much we deserve a team because, you know, despite everything, we still showed up and we still, you know, we still love this, this team and we supported our Grizzlies. So I, I, I don't know. I, I am hopeful. Um, and I want to say it's more than wishful thinking. Like I'm, I'm confident, um, but it's just a matter of time. Yeah. So what happens then to this film series? Like, do you, are there any more stories, grisly stories yeah. left for you personally to tell? You know what? I, uh, there are so many grisly stories to tell. First, like, there's so many stories I had to hit the cutting room floor, unfortunately. Um, hopefully we get to tell them in like an extended deleted scene or something like that. But uh, I, um, I, I've actually done, you see, so you mentioned three. I've actually done a fourth one. It's called Born Identities that, that premiered at TIFF last year. So I've done four Grizzly films. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes, of course. You've so, done four. <laughs> four. So I think like I, I would, I, I could go on and on, but I definitely, um, you know, I feel like um, there are other stories I also want to tell, um, but I could still like, you know, if, if you ask me to pitch another Grizzly story, yeah, like I could probably do it because only, and also only because I've interviewed literally, it feels like everyone on the Vancouver Grizzlies are within the organization. So I have just like many, many, many stories that I had to like park and they're like, they're uh, on hold. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's still a lot of, a lot to be said about the Grizzlies because this is a, you know, it's an hour and a half, like an hour and a half movie. You can't fit everything. Um, but there, there's a lot that happened within those six years. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about the Grizzlies now? Like has the process of making these four films <laughs> changed how you feel about the Grizzlies? You know, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, there was, I, I go somewhere in this, this next, in the Grizzly Truth. I traveled to a place that I thought I'd never go to. Mm. Um, it starts with an M. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, I, I, you know, some might say it's enemy territory, but I, I went and I always knew that, you know, I, I'm talking about Memphis, of course. And I, I always knew that mm -hmm. you know, the process of the film, I was like, I think I need to go. I think I need to go to Memphis. And I think it was, um, I had an inkling of like what would happen, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I really like, you know, when I get there and you watch the film, like I'm very torn because, mm. um, you know, I started to feel a change within myself. <laughs> like even, you know, uh, our crew, like we, um, I have a great crew and we have so much fun traveling together. And we, we, we usually get like an Airbnb together and we, you know, hang out, plan and prep together and so that whole you know few days that we were in memphis like they could tell that i was just like confused and torn because <laughs> i would just kind of be wandering wandering around the airbnb and they'd be like you cat like you know I, we can tell you're going through something right now because it was really this like um it was just it was surreal to be there it was it was weird honestly to see to be like oh this is where the grizzlies are like they they haven't disappeared they're just they're here and it was really emotional and i i didn't you know i got emotional during like during uh there's a moment where i get emotional in the film in memphis and i was taken aback and i i you know the grizzlies 
you know, I'm known as this like, you know, crazy super fan who wants to bring back the Grizzlies. And it's like, you know, I'm doing rallies and doing all these things. But like, I forget, like in that, when I, when I got emotional, I forgot, like, I was like, oh my God, like, this is actually like, it's, it's fun. And it's funny. Like it, it, like, you know, I'm such a big Grizzlies nerd, but at the heart of it, it's really coming from a place of like, this team meant so much to me, this Mm -hmm. team, like I bonded with my dad, my grandfather, my mom, like my family, like they meant so much to me. And like, like all these emotions of like what this, this film is really about, because it is fun and funny. And like, I am this like kind of this character almost, but at the heart of it, like there is, um, there's something like, it's all coming from a real place. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, I think that what I, what I like, when I started to get emotional, I was like, Oh my God, like I truly like truly miss this team. And like, this is where they are. And like, this is what I've been missing. And like, can you imagine if like we had this and, you know, I could have had X amount of more years, like with my grandfather going to games and like, Oh my God, he would have loved this. And so but yeah. So then I, you know, it just the tears started coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So um, it was, yeah, it was really interesting to, to go to Memphis. Um, but also it was bittersweet and I got to, you know, I, I feel like I got closure. Um, I won't spoil how, but I, I felt like that was such an important trip for me. And I, mm. like, I, I feel like my message to any like Grizzlies fan who, you know, felt the way that I did, it's just like, I think you have to go to Memphis. I think one of the great things, I, I think the film, one of the bigger themes that the film kind of, I hope my goal was, was to show like in many instances in our life like it's very much a like you know when it's a like us versus them mentality um and i saw that very clearly laid out in this grizzlies you know within the 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 world of this film it's like us grizzly vancouver grizzly fans versus like the vancouver sorry the memphis grizzly fans us versus them and they're the enemy um but then when you start talking to people and you realize oh wait this isn't like this isn't an us, like it, it, we're not against each other. Like what if we could actually like bridge this connection and like start a conversation between Vancouver and Memphis? Like, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? And I feel like that's such a beautiful metaphor for like many different things in life and that are going around in the, in, in the world. Um, and so that was one of the, I guess, the more beautiful things about the film, like sure, it's like this basketball conspiracy theory, like, uh, or like, sorry, true crime uh, mystery. That's what we set it up as. But I think that was one of the main things that I learned and the main things that I wanted to convey, my team and I wanted to convey in the film. Well, you absolutely did. And I won't say what happens when you go yeah. to Memphis, but that was one of the parts of the film where I absolutely cried. Oh, um, yeah. And you, I, I felt the humanity of your experience uh, mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, I also, I love the fact that you, a Grizzly super fan, have now become part of the Grizzly story, you know, as <laughs> their as their historian, as a documentarian, you know, it's like you're definitely part of the Grizzly families. Um, what kind of conversations would you like to inspire in your audience? You know, like this is actually an in-person, there will be a couple of in-person mm. screenings at VIF, you know, so people will be able to hang out in the lobby after or yeah. have a drink and talk. Yeah. Like what, what would you, what kind of conversations would you like people to have or what kind of emotional experience would you like them to be sitting with, you know, as the end credits are rolling? I think maybe one of the main one of the ones I can think of off the top of my head is like seeing these people 
who have um, been villainized and who we've, you know, been angry at for years and years. Um, and but seeing them as like human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, I, I've I feel like I've been asked the question that's like, you know, why didn't you girls do like more when you were like, you know, I think at a test screening, that was like one of the questions that I got. And it was like, well, I'm a sure I'm a fan, but I'm also a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And f- I think as a filmmaker, you know, it's my job to approach. Sure, I have to ask the hard questions. And yes, you're right. But I also need to approach these people. They're people and they're humans. And if I can't like if I can't see them as that, then I'm not going to do a good job of like showing who they truly are on screen. Mm. And so I think like, you know, I think I'm hoping that after, you you know, audiences watch this, especially Grizzly fans who, you know, have been pointing the finger at certain players or people within the organization, they they think back and, and, and say, you know, maybe I w- was being too hard and, or maybe like, you know, seeing, seeing our, the people that we talk to as human beings and yes, it's the NBA. Yes. They're basketball players. Yes. They're coaches and, and general managers, but they're also people. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that is like the main thing. And I, you know, that was the goal of finding big country. And I think, you know, we were able to show Brian and humanize him um, and just, so, so I guess that would be sort of the con- one of the main conversations um, that I'd uh, I'd want to start. And I'm also just I'm excited for other Filipino Canadians, other young like or not young, uh, other second generation Canadians to watch. Like I'm actually very excited for for this that aspect of my story to be revealed because um, I do feel like that is something that many second generation Canadians can relate to. Um, and so, yeah, those are, I guess, the, the two off the top of my head that I can think of that I'm excited to, uh, to share and to talk about. Wonderful. All right, listeners, the Grizzly Truth screens. I think it's going to have a nice long journey. And I believe that there is a Crave broadcast coming yes. down the road. Um, the road yeah. But world premiere at the 2022 Vancouver International Film Festival. Visit vif.org for tickets, screening times, and also for other films, info about how to access their online screenings. Yes. Kat Jamie, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate yeah. you and the film on the social media? Not in oh. real life. We have um, our, our Grizzly Truth handles, the Grizzly Truth film on Instagram, Twitter, the Grizz Truth. And I'm Kat Jamie Films on Instagram and Twitter. But yeah, thank you so much, Sabrina. It was a, such a pleasure to uh, to chat with you today. Yeah. Absolute pleasure to to talk to you, and also like thank you for the gift of of your films. I I guess you've done something for me in bridging the gap between me and all of like the uh, the jocks from my <laughs> from when I was in elementary school, thinking that we had nothing in common. And oh no, we did. Oh yeah, no, I'm the biggest <laughs> nerd for sure, and I totally you, you absolutely are, yeah. and I say that with all love and yeah. respect. <laughs> all right, listeners, I love and appreciate you as well. Thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners, and we can keep having conversations like the especially rad one that we had today. You can find us at whybeerscreenscene.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Not TikTok, though. That is not a me thing. At whybeerscreenscene and at Sabrina. 
The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Furminger. I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for quoting our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devolet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.